The Talk Shop. This is the talk shop with me, Master Chaba Mushweshwe, on SAFM 104 to 107. We're talking about a recently released report that uh, has found that uh, financial compensation for land restitution was mostly well spent, despite misgivings by the Commission on the restitution of land rights on how claimants wasted the money. Uh, joining us is uh, the professor who conducted the research, Professor Bernadette Atwahin, a visiting assistant professor at Princeton University. Good evening to you you, Prof, and thank you so much for joining us. Welcome on to the talk shop. Thank you, and thank you for this invitation. Prof, uh, just take us through the methodology that you used in your research. Who did you speak to um, in which parts of South Africa? Yeah, so I conducted over 150 interviews of, of beneficiaries of the land restitution program, but my research is unique because I only focused on people who were evicted from urban areas, and that is um, something that in terms of the literature that is not really concentrated on are those who were evicted from urban areas. When we talk about land reform, it's a very it's a conversation about rural uh, people, and mm-hmm. so I focus on urban. I interviewed people um, from the Hautang province and the Western Cape Province, and as you said, what I found um, in these and in these 150 interviews, 80 of the people uh, receive financial compensation. And so, this particular report is an analysis of how those 80 people spent the money. And what I found was 30 percent of the people spent it in such a way that increased their net economic assets. Mostly, they invested in improving their homes. 32% spent the money in a way that produced a moderate economic impact. And lastly, 38% of the people spent the money in such a way that produced a low economic impact. Mm-hmm. When we talk about economic impact, money that is going into where there is nothing, where there is dire need. You also looked at what other families did that would not be called having a great economic impact, but for those families meant a lot. Absolutely right. So the question I ask in this report is how people spent the money. Mm. And in no way am I assuming is there one right way to spend the money, Mm -hmm. right? Because some people might have used it in a way that didn't have a high economic impact, but in fact was emotionally valuable, culturally valuable, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm just looking at the particular question about did they spend it in in such a way that produced a high economic impact, but there are other ways that people uh, spent the money that I don't look at in my particular report. Um, tombstones, for instance, was a big way that people spent the money in terms of honoring those who have passed on, who were the ones who were forcibly removed but could not be here today to benefit from the the award. And when we look at uh, how much this financial compensation was, what was the average amount that was awarded to the claimants? And, And that's something that a lot of people aren't aware of. So Urban claimants were mostly settled through something called the standard settlement offer. There were two ways people got financial compensation. One is through a process called historic valuation, and second is through a process called the standard settlement offer. Historic valuation is where the assessors actually went out uh, evaluated the um, uh, property value, the, uh, how much the, uh, the property was worth, and then used the CPI to come up with an amount. That was mostly used in rural claims. The vast, over 90% of urban claims were settled through the standard settlement offer, and that ranged anywhere for, from 17,000 rand to 60,000 rand. And basically that increased, it was attached to the housing subsidy and increased as the housing subsidy increased, but it was in no way attached to the actual value Mm -hmm. of the property lost by the individual or community.
We're talking to Professor Bernadette Atwahin, a visiting assistant professor at Princeton University, and talking about her report, Paying for the Past, addressing past property violations in South Africa, focusing on uh, financial compensation for land restitution in urban areas. And her report has found that uh, the money was mostly well spent, despite the Commission on the Restitution of Land Rights uh, being concerned on claimants wasting the money. How do you think it came about? About, Prof, that um, one of uh, the, the the heads of uh, of the uh, uh, Commission on the Restitution of Land Rights spoke about the concern that they have that uh, on 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 Friday they award money to the claimants and uh, then they go immediately next door to the um, you know an open tavern to an open bottle store and by Monday the money is finished. Yeah, I think that there were basically this is. Um the, 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 the source of this is these paternalistic views or kind of condescending views of poor people and how they spend money, right? So uh, you're right. One, one, uh, there were kind of two camps at the commission. One camp who believed that people spent the money in such a way that they spent it at the bottle store and in kind of revelry and things of this nature, um, you know, these kind of condescending views of the poor, mm. uh, assuming that they don't know how to spend money. But then there was a second equally paternalistic but less condescending view among commission officials that I found in my interviews with commission officials, which was that, you know, that, um, you know, poverty is such that people are living in an emergency and have to spend the money right away for survival, mm-hmm. right? So the money went quickly because people kind of needed it to survive and uh, kind of the exigencies of everyday living. So those are the two, both paternalistic, one condescending, one less so, but that was the general view of the commission. And what this study comes in and does is it says, well, look, you know, we do have a significant portion of the people spending it in such a way that improves their long-term economic assets. And so the policy recommendations in the report is saying, let's build off of this success, right? And, and, and so at the end of the day, what a lot of people don't know is 70% of the claims, both urban and rural, were settled through financial compensation. All of the conversation around land reform is about land transfer, mm. people getting onto the land. That's actually not what's happening in reality. Let me repeat that one more time. 70% of the claims settled, both urban and rural, were settled through financial compensation. And so my report comes in and says, okay, this is the re- actual reality we're dealing with on the ground. Let's figure out a way to make uh, financial compensation more effective. Mm -hmm. And part of the solution I have is giving people more choice, right? So I say this. I say give people the choice. You can get your land back, alternative land, financial compensation. Let's add a fourth option, vouchers. So that means that, okay, if you're entitled to 30,000 rand, then if you take the money in a voucher to say somewhere like cash build, you get 40,000 rand. That's if the commission wants to encourage people to use the money to improve their homes. If the commission wants to encourage people to use the money in such a way that increases their uh, job training or, the, you know, things of their potential to get jobs, then perhaps they can give a 30, if you're entitled to 30,000 rand, we'll give you 30% more of the commission deposits the money directly into a qualifying educational or training institute. And so what I'm saying is not taking away options, still giving them all the options of just getting cash, but also adding the voucher option in there to try and make sure that the financial compensation is even more effective. Again, it's about giving people more choices and dealing with the reality on the ground that financial compensation is how these claims are being settled. If we talk about these uh, other options that uh, you put forward on the table, are we not uh, uh, subscribing to this paternalistic uh, we-know-what's-best-for-you mode of thinking by 
saying we will dictate how your money is spent by you. And that's why I want to I want to make sure you understand that I'm saying giving people more options. I'm not saying take away the already options. I'm saying give them more options so they can still choose the land. They can still choose the financial um, alternative land. They can still choose the financial compensation. But they're getting a fourth option in addition, not mm. replacing, in mm. addition to the existing options of vouchers. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's not at all paternalistic. It is a way of giving people more options rather than restricting their options. We're talking to Professor Bernadette Atwahin, and uh, we're talking about the report paying for the past, addressing past property violations in South Africa. 0891-104-207 is the number to dial. Uh, if you want to join our conversation, 0891-104-207 or SMS 34701. SMS number 34701. SMS is charged at two rand. When we come back, I want to talk about a concern that's been raised by the Commission on the restitution of land rights, an option that they've put on the table is to take away financial compensation and focus on land restitution itself. We'll find out from Professor Bernadette Atwahin what it means for her. She talks in her report about um, the uh, value of ensuring that people are integrated back into the communities um, that uh, they were previously a part of. And she talks about asset-based choices. We'll get more details in a short while. The Talk Show. This is the talk shop with me, Masachaba Moshweshwe, on SAFM 104-107, talking about a report paying for the past, addressing past property violations in South Africa by Professor Bernadette Atwahin, visiting assistant professor at Princeton University. She joins us on the line to take us through the report that looks at uh, um, uh, financial compensation for land restitution. And she's found that the money has mostly been well spent, 30% of uh, claims uh, use their money to uh, increase, uh, um, to, to improve their current homes, increasing the value of their primary assets. And uh, she also found that in 32% of the cases, there was moderate economic impact. And in 38% of cases, there was only a small economic impact to the recipients brought about by the financial compensation. Professor Atwahin, let's look at... Um, dispossessing people of their land. You talk in your report about a previous article that you'd written that really looks at what it means and the impact of it when it is used as a larger strategy in the way that uh, the apartheid government used it. Right, right, right. And so, yeah, the, the, the point there is there. I, have, I draw a difference between reparations and restoration. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my, my point there is to say that there are some instances where, instances where something is taken away from you, right? And in those instances, the point is to give that thing back, that physical thing back. But there are other instances where, the, where something is taken from you as part of a larger strategy of dehumanization. And in these instances, it's not enough to just give the thing back because more than the thing was taken from you. It was part of a strategy of dehumanization, right? So in these instances, what's required is what I call restoration, where you give the thing back in such a way that gives people their dignity back, rehumanizes, embraces the humanity of people that was challenged and taken away by the prior government. And so how do you do this? How do you mm. give something back in such a way that um, restores dignity? Well, my answer to that is by giving people choices. 
right, and allowing them to sit in the driver's seat and direct how they will be restored, right? And so that's exactly part of this um, policy recommendation I'm making about giving people choices because there's something powerful about saying, you know, about saying, you know, yes, you were dispossessed unjustly as a result of these racial laws during apartheid. I am now, as the government, coming to allow you to, to, again, sit in the driver's seat and direct how, in fact, you are restored. And so I draw a difference between reparations, which is giving the thing back, um, just giving a physical thing back, and restoration, which is giving the physical thing back in such a way that makes people part of the polity again, that embraces their humanity, that restores dignity. When we talk reparations, which is a return of the thing that was taken away, do you think that the Commission uh, uh, on the Restitution of Land Rights is doing that? Because there are many people whose land was taken away, who were moved, who now find themselves either living in in informal settlements, um, who are wandering around and still trying to find some kind of roof over their heads. So even in that instance, and and, and 60,000 rand, which is the maximum that you spoke about, would it really buy anybody a roof over their head property? in South Africa, in urban South Africa today. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the financial compensation really only, we saw that it had this kind of economic impact in people who already own houses. And so they were able to improve what Mm. they already had. Mm -hmm. But those who didn't own a house or lived in an informal settlement, they ended up in the part of the study where they weren't able to use the money in such a way that had a a significant economic impact. Um, So that is a very um, apt observation is that there is a difference between people who have a home and don't have a home in terms of their ability to use that money. But the money is in no way sufficient to buy a home or to get out of an informal settlement. What was the feeling of the recipients of uh, the the claimants um, who got compensation for land restitution? Did they feel that this was a fair process, that this was a process that took into account all that they had lost? Or was it a case of, you know what, there is no other alternatives, so I'll just go along with this particular process, hoping that something will come along later on. Yeah, so I'm in the midst of finishing. So this report is one chapter in a larger mm. book that I'm, mm. I'm just now completing uh, the manuscript for called um, We Want What's Ours. And in one of the chapters, I look at the question about exactly what you're asking. When, do, when did people feel like the process was fair and just, mm. right? Uh, and when were they satisfied by the process? And my main finding in that chapter is to say, you know, although, peop- although you would think that uh, – the amount that people got was the real thing that really mattered in terms of their assessments of fairness. What really drove the people's assessments of fairness was how they were treated in the process, right? Whether they were treated with respect, whether their calls were returned, whether they, um, uh, whether the, the level of communication. Uh, because people really understood that this was not the government that dispossessed them. This was not the government that uh, undermined them, right? This government, a, a term I heard over and over in the interviews, was just trying to wipe their tears, is what people continually said. Mm. So it wasn't necessarily the size of the grant, but it was, it was more so how people were treated, the process. You know, was, was it one in which people were treated with respect or dignity or people being disrespected, ignored uh, and, and not communicated with properly? Join our conversation on 0891-104-207 or SMS 34701. SMS is charged at two rand. Good evening to you, Eddie, in Cape Town. Good evening, Master. Good evening, Eddie. Hello. Welcome. You're on air. Yes. Uh, look, Master, I think I like um, uh, the, uh, the professor's report. I, I wish 
um, that report could go on and finish what she's, she's trying to finish now and then hand it over to government. So in addition to that, I would like to say um, um, I wish our government could go hire uh, people like this, this lady from outside South Africa, people that have got no interest in this whole thing, because all our local people uh, have got have got interest in the land issue um, or the local. So hire people that have got no interest in this. That can um, guide us and then draw uh, up something that is really tangible. Because for me, the issue, Mastaba, is our government is is too apologetic, um, um, uh, too much in, in such a way that. They, they don't really addressing anything. I'm in Cape Town at the moment right now, and I can tell you the N2, which is the, the highway in Cape Town here, is nobody can drive there now because the, 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 the residents and everyone who's poor are, are so fed up with mm. um, all mm. these promises and all this stuff that they are taking up arms now and actually doing doing things. Mm. So mm. Um, my my issue is um, even when we were studying at Varsity, you will find that... Um, the people that will be studying the land issue, the poverty in South Africa and so on, they will give you an example about America. And my, my problem with that has always been, look, America, blacks in America are a minority. So you can't compare the American issue with South Africa. That's what I'm saying. Let's hire people from America or hire people from outside who have no interest, who can give us the facts and who can give us the cold facts rather than the people that are going to go around because okay. they've got interest in it, you know? Eddie and Cape Town, thank you very, very much for the call. Professor Atwahan, what do you think about that? What are you going to be doing with your report once you're done? Yeah, excellent question. Let me say one thing. I, I gave this report at HSRC at one of the seminars, and so the full report is available at that website mm. for those um, listeners who want to read the full report. And I'll also email the report to you, Masichaba, so yes. you can post it on your website for those who want to read the entire uh, report. Do that, but what I've already done is, uh, again, this is a study of the commission. Before, um, about uh, two weeks ago, I sat with all the key people at the commission and did a full um, kind of report uh, pre- using presentation on my findings. Um, and so I'm already in dialogue um, with people at the commission in terms of the, the, the findings. And I think that what's important, I, I really appreciated what the, the uh, previous caller uh, just said, because I think what is missing is empirical analysis, mm. right? So it's one thing to just give your opinion. There's a lot of opinions going around, right? But it's another thing to do the work of doing the interviews. I did 150 interviews of people, heard directly from the people, randomly chose those people, these kind of empirical studies grounded in the realities of, 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 of those who are, are being interviewed. That's what we really need moving forward. And it doesn't matter if it's an American doing the study or a South African doing the study or a Ghanaian doing the study. The point is we need more empirical work, work where people actually go and do the interview, randomly choose people, do have a... Um, um, a kind of very noble, worthy research design and going to do these interviews of the people. And I also want to say one thing. Mm. Uh, the commission is faced with lots of challenges. Uh, you know, I, I was there in 2008 for the entire year working within the commission. They're faced with lots of challenges, but, uh, you know, South Africa needs to know that the people working in the commission are really committed to this thing of land reform and to moving the thing forward. They are faced with lots of challenges, but they really do, I, I believe, after working there for a year, my observation is their intention is right. You know, the, the, the new... Um, 
uh, commissioner there at the mm-hmm. uh, Land Claims Commission, the deputy commissioner, the head of the legal department. These are people I've interacted with and worked with um, extensively. And they are doing, they work hard, they work long hours. Uh, but what I want the South African people to understand is this is a tall order. You know, this is a very difficult Absolutely. job. There are certain people in there working hard. It's not like people are twiddling their thumbs. They're working hard, but this is a very difficult task before the South African Bureau. Professor Atwahina, I wanted to go there and specifically focusing on the willing seller, willing buyer principle that has come under a lot of discussion in our country. In your report, you say do not overpay current landowners. How then do we ensure, you know, um, the expropriation of land is something that has been put on the table, that's been rejected as being too radical? How then should South Africans go about ensuring that the land reform promised the people of South Africa becomes a reality? And now this is something that concerns me uh, quite a bit, because as part of the, of the liberation bargain in 1993, 1994, you know, the deal was, you know, all... Cr- Property rights in 1994 were legitimated, right? All those who had ownership of land, their titles to their property were immediately legitimized. That was a huge concession. In in exchange for that concession, we got Section 25 of the South African uh, Constitution, right, which says that, which has a promise of land reform. Um, And in Section 25, uh, 25.3 to be specific, Part of the bargain was, okay, although your, your rights have been legitimated, when we go to expropriate the land and do this land reform, we're going to take into account certain factors. Mm. Certain those factors listed are the current use of the property, the history of the acquisition and use of the property, and only third in the list is the market value of the property. Also, the extent of direct state investment and subsidy in the acquisition and beneficial capital improvement of the property. Do you understand? So right now there's this focus purely on the market value of of the property. And what is going on is that the um, uh, commission officials and also those doing land reform uh, more largely are not even researching these factors. Right? They're not research, researching uh, the in, in extent of direct state subsidy in the property. They're not taking into account the history and the acquisition of the property. Now, this is a huge undermining of the liberation bargain, a huge undermining of the liberation bargain, because the point is that, you know, w- while, yes, we are expropriating the land, we have got to take into account how that farmer, current farmer, acquired the land. Did they acquire it at um, below market prices? Did the prior apartheid state invest and give them kind of subsidies? Mm. If that is Mm. the case, then we need to reduce the price Mm. that these farmers are given. But what's actually going on, and this is is something I found in my interviews and my research, is these factors that are enumerated in the Constitution in Section 25.3 are not even being researched. So those factors are not even coming into the negotiations about how much people pay for the land. This is, again, a huge undermining of the liberation bargain. You talk uh, about... And you... I really feel like if the South African people knew about this, they should be toy-toying mm. in the streets, because this thing is uh, it's, it's, it's completely unjust, the fact that these factors are not even being researched. The issue of land is of, of great concern, I think, to, to, to many South Africans across the country. You talk in your report about the people that are doing the negotiations. Are they qualified? Are they able to? Are they trained and, to negotiate uh, for land and, and do all the necessary research that you talk about? And, and this is uh, another, you know, 
Again, land reform is a big, t- this is another problem you've identified, Master Chad, but I mean, the point is that uh, what is the capacity of the bureaucracy that's implementing land reform? And one of the failures is in terms of there is no systematic training of the project officers who are engaging in these negotiations. They have not been systematically trained in negotiation. And so that is, in fact, you put your finger on one of the weaknesses, um, is they have not even been given the training to enter into these very important negotiations where the public's money is 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 at stake. Um, and again, they're not doing the research. Uh, they, they, you know, they haven't been trained to say, look, the Constitution says this. We have to take into, effect, uh, into account X, Y, and Z. They haven't been trained to make sure those factors are taken into account, so they're not even at the table. So, so you put your, again, you put your finger on it. What we're faced with here is a, a bureaucratic incapacity lack of training, systematic training to really capacitate the uh, bureaucracy implementing these, the land reform to really do a job that's worthy of the South African people. The commission talks about wanting to de-emphasize the financial compensation option and focus on restitution. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, now, now so this is, you know, this is a twofold uh, answer. Number one, um, the question is, you know, what the commission was trying to do, they switched their focus. Early on in the process, the commission really put an emphasis on financial compensation mm-hmm. because the process was going slow and it's quicker to give money. But then in around 2005, 2006, the commission switched gears. They then started emphasizing land transfer, right, which mm-hmm. is a good thing, right, because when mm-hmm. you get land, you get more. It's mm-hmm. more powerful to get land. But the problem was is by the way they were emphasizing it, I have various quotes from commission officials uh, that basically say that they would go over development thoroughly, and when they got to the financial compensation, would go over it quickly. Now, that's a problem because the commission has a monopoly on information. And so by not giving people the information, they're, in effect, taking away the choice of financial compensation. So so, so, so that's one thing. And, and again, if you notice uh, in, in, in the views I've been um, articulating today, I am a proponent of choice mm. and giving people a choice. They should be able to get land, but if for some reason they want to get money, like a lot of people in my study preferred money over land because there were 14 people that needed to divide the award, right? The originally dispossessed individual was dead, uh, and in fact now there's 14 people that stood to benefit. They didn't want to get a house because it was too difficult to divide it amongst themselves, and they prefer money. So you understand there are some instances where people would choose financial compensation over land, even though land is a more beneficial option. But the point is the commission, by withholding information, really um, undermined choice. That's the first thing I want to say in response to your question. The second thing, and I think the more important thing I want to uh, to, to, to to put out there is to say that land reform is a three-pronged process, right? It's about redistribution, restitution, and tenure reform. Mm -hmm. And my position is that land transfer needs to happen under the prong called redistribution and not restitution. Mm -hmm. Let me repeat that. Land transfer needs to happen under the prong called redistribution rather than restitution. Why do I feel that way? Well, uh, it's it's a point, you know, the point is, there are fundamental land inequalities, uh, you know, past theft in South Africa that needs to be re- reformed. How do you reform it? Do you give it to the person whose grandfather was evicted from a particular parcel of land two generations ago? Or do you give it to the, the, uh, the farm worker who's currently working on the land, able to till the land, knows the land, knows about farming, has an incentive to farm, right? And so... Um, my position is that I think that land transfer absolutely needs to happen. 
we absolutely have to change the fundamental inequalities in land holding in South Africa. Absolutely, without a doubt. But the point is, but we need I'm to give the you... land to people who know how to work the land, who have the skills and have the passion, rather than people who have a legal right to the land. And that's what restitution is. Professor Atwahin, I'm going to ask you to hold that to, uh, thought. I'm going to ask you to hold that thought because I really want to talk about uh, land restitution, as you say, and land redistribution, because these are at the heart of the discussions around um, uh, restitution of land rights and, and the commission and even the Department of Rural Affairs. So we will continue talking. We'll wrap up with Professor Bernadette Atwahin in a short while and we'll take Sydney as well um, on the line right after the news. The Talk Shop. This is the talk shop with me, Masichaba Mushweshwe on SAFM 104-107. We're wrapping up with Professor Bernadette Atwahin, who is a visiting assistant professor at Princeton University, talking about her report, Paying for the Past, Addressing Past Property Violations in South Africa. The report has found that financial compensation for land restitution was mostly well spent, despite misgivings by the Commission on the Restitution of Land Rights on how claimants wasted the money. And uh, we're wrapping up uh, with calls and SMSs as well. Let's uh, quickly take Sydney in PE. And after Sydney, we'll explore the redistribution angle that the prof was talking about, uh, um, talking about give land to people that know how to work the land. How do we do we then form partnerships, profs, between those who previously owned it and were dispossessed of it generations ago? Or is it a case of give them some kind of financial compensation, get them out of the way and focus on the people that have been working the land throughout um, the generations that uh, we have been looking at uh, apartheid government in place will explore that particular option right uh, in a short while. But let's take Sydney in PE. Sydney, hi. Hi, Masha. Listen, uh, you, the professor, is so right with what you say. You know, it, Masha, we see a lot of uh, demonstrations and what have you today. And it's not all about uh, services, it's about compensation. And you know what people need to get back. I mean, look at the footage of apartheid and look at what people got back. What is there, you know, to, to, to actually make everybody feel like really, really compensated? That, that is absolutely nothing. And I think the deeper need within the people is that real, real compensation. Okay, right, let's put that one aside. Let me take a little, uh, another one for the professor. It's a challenge. You know, today, Mashaba, we get people, leaders as well, who come around and say, you can't blame apartheid for this, you can't blame apartheid for that, mm. apartheid is dead. But, you know, that is not a fact. I mean, recently it was said that the CODESA wasn't actually pro- uh, properly addressing the issues on the table, you know, in terms of uh, the, the whole negotiation. Mm. Mm. But now, we, you get either people who come around and say, well, uh, apartheid is dead, you can't blame it. How can it... How can you have a second phase of the struggle? Okay. And, you know, they still believe apartheid uh, is dead. Mm. It, it is wrong and it is an insult to the people who suffered because, you know, who pushes that line? It's the very same perpetrators of apartheid. Okay. They so say you can't apartheid, apartheid is dead. I hear you. I hear you. I think one, one, one of the things that we acknowledge and should acknowledge is that 
compromise was made at Kodesa and Kodesa 2 as well. Compromise was made. That is well known. That is a fact that we have to live with. And uh, it's about moving on from there. And, and I hear you with regards to saying, how do we then um, talk about forget about the past when we recognize that compromise was made? But how do we then ensure that we move forward without necessarily burning the country down, Sydney? Well, well, Master, we we need we need to seriously address the, the 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 compensation issue. We need to we need to come down and say, but but is the house enough? Is the lead enough to compensate people? I mean, what 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 else can can be done? We need to talk to people and understand the true real feeling. Okay, Sydney NPE, oh. thank you very much for the call, sir. Um, Prof, you Sydney says um, we need to address the issue of compensation and say, is it enough? I, I cannot think anyone will say this is enough in terms of meeting my emotional pain in the same way that those who were are, are present occupiers of land that is under under question will say that, you know, this is not enough money, I want more money. And you say that uh, we should not be aware Awarding um, such a, a um, you know people who who are currently occupying the land should not be receiving the huge amounts of money that they're currently being offered. But this is what they feel their land is worth. Okay, couple of things, Sydney. I just want to thank Sydney for that uh, for that comment. Um, and my, my observation is this. Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you know, we were sold out in Codessa, something went wrong in Codessa. Actually, South Africa has a very strong constitution. Mm. And Section 25.3 of the constitution is extremely strong um, and equitable. The problem is the implementation of these constitutional provisions and not the constitution itself. I wouldn't go so far as to say that these current farmers are given huge rewards. That's not my position. I don't, that's not what I'm trying to say. They're mm-hmm. given all, huge settlements. That's not my position. My position is to say that in the negotiations, the factors clearly stated in Section 25.3 of the, of the, of the Constitution, i.e., um, how much they acquired the property for, how much prior governments invested state subsidies in those properties, they are not taken into consideration. And the market, you know, the market value is only supposed to be a starting point, according to the Land Claims Court. And then from there, you're supposed to cut the compensation down by these other factors if you got a discount upon purchase from the apartheid government, if you got subsidies. But those discounts aren't happening. Why? Because they're not even being researched. So, Sydney, what I would say to you is, uh, again, the point is your constitution is, 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 is um, I think it's excellent. It's about the implementation of the constitutional provisions. Okay. You do talk about uh, overpaying of current landowners. You say the commission should stop exactly. overpaying the current landowners and instead use the savings to increase the minimum financial award that is given to the claimants. Now, you talk about... Uh, redistribution, land restitution and land redistribution. Give the land to people that know how to work the land. What about the people that were dispossessed of the land generations ago? How do we balance these two very, very relevant claims? Yeah, and the point is this, you know, is to focus on when you talk about, uh, is it my, my whole point is to give people options, mm-hmm. right? Um, but and so if someone in, in restitution, if there's a particular community um, that was evicted from land a long time ago, I'm not saying force them to get compensation. No. If they're, if they're situated to, they want, they have a desire to go back to their land and start working the land, let's make that happen, right? It's okay. about giving people choices. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you what's actually happening is in restitution, we'll have one farm. 
right? So there's one farm operated by one farm owner. Mm. Uh, successfully. And what restitution does is then that one farm has a claim on it. That claim, now the beneficiaries are 2,000 plus benefit, 2,000 plus benefit, 2,000 plus benefit, 